Season 4 of the Probe Dental Podcast is presented by Oral-B. Oral-B is the worldwide leader in the over $5 billion brushing market. Part of the Procter & Gamble company, the brand includes manual and electric toothbrushes for children and adults, oral irrigators and interdental products such as dental floss. Oral-B, the brand that pioneered the electric toothbrush and connected brushing, recently unveiled its most revolutionary technology to date, the Oral-B-I-O. An unprecedented advancement of the brushing experience, Oral-B-I-O sets a new industry benchmark, representing inspired research that elevates user expectations in experience, technology, design and performance like never before. Oral-B-I-O strikes the right balance between effectiveness and experience and reimagines how a brush performs, cleans and feels. Oral-B-I-O is the result of six years of dedicated research with dental professionals to ensure people have the best possible oral health outcomes at home. The brush offers a unique blend of innovative features such as a linear magnetic drive and redesigned brush head to deliver superior oral health. Oral-B works very closely with dental professionals and it is very proud to sponsor this podcast. And we here at the Probe Dental Podcast would like to say a very special thank you to Oral-B as well. Hello, one and all, and welcome to another edition of the Probe Dental Podcast with me, James Cook. We've got a very special guest for you today. We have an award-winning dental hygienist joining me on the show. That's Faye Donald. Many of you may know her. She is the Tooth Fairy. She has more than 20 years of industry experience and remains a practicing dental hygienist at several practices. She's also a big advocate for minimal intervention, and in this episode... Faye discusses her process and preference for motivating patients to maintain their oral health before taking any clinical intervention. She also talks in great detail about patient psychology. We have a very good chat there about how sometimes you can be a little bit scared of the chair as such and how it goes against human nature to lie back. Um, She also talks about how to communicate well with patients, how to identify what type of person you're dealing with. She also talks about um, why test drive is now the most important tool in her arsenal. It's a very good conversation, I'm very excited for you to hear it. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Faye Donald. Hi there, Faye, how are you doing? Hi, James, I'm great, thank you. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Obviously, you're very. I don't know, established is probably not the right word, but we are established, but like, I don't know, quite prestigious within the world of dental hygiene. Uh, how many awards have you won? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm on a hat trick now, so three at the moment. <laughs> I must be doing another one soon. <laughs> so you, you're, you're dental hygienist of the year, was it 2014 and 2017? Uh, no, it was UK's best hygienist 2014 and 2017. Right. And I was dental hygienist of the year also in 2014. It was a good year for me. <laughs> Big <laughs> year. Yeah. Fantastic. So, I mean, tell us a bit about a bit more about yourself and your and your background. Okay, so I've been qualified dental hygienist for actually it's 20 years this year. 
the great 20 year reunion's not happening now because of um, recent events, but, but it's 20 years this year since I graduated. Started off as many hygienists in my generation did as a dental nurse. Didn't last very long as a dental nurse as much as I loved it. Uh, I was just too hungry, far too hungry to make my mark on the world. So um, very quickly qualified and moved on to dental hygiene and, and, and never looked back. Um, and now, 20 years later, um, I'm a writer, I'm a blogger, I'm an educator, I lecture nationally, internationally, my favourite thing to do, particularly on prevention, minimal intervention, that's kind of become very much my lane. I'm a bit of an all-round period nutcase, I think um, is the answer, really. I live and breathe dental hygiene, and I'm on a mission to change the world. I've been on a mission to change the world since I left university, and uh, and I, I'm not showing any signs of, uh, of slowing down uh, anytime soon at all. Um, I've also got a diploma in counselling schools and behavioural therapy, um, and I think that's where my passion for really engaging with patients and communicating really effectively with them uh, where that comes into play I think that's where that's born really um, I believe the most important part of our role really um, is the communication with the patients and that's what gets us the best results so that's really where my my comfort zone is really and, and what I probably speak the most about when I'm when I'm out there so uh, yeah loving it loving life loving perio loving hygiene that's me <laughs> i think what's absolutely fantastic is you, you can just hear from the way you've described everything you do and everything you've done just like the passion that comes through um and i mean just just to kind of let our listeners know i even received an email from faye last night just saying how excited she was to get to speak to you know speak to us about about kind of everything uh, today um that was probably about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock last night as well when I was thinking, what am I doing tomorrow? And thought, oh, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. That's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's great. It's, it's infectious and, you know, I'd say it's just great to hear someone who really, you know, you clearly love what you do. So Yeah, yes. I do love what I do. And I think, I think when you're communicating with patients, they feed off that as well. You know, much of our role is motivating people and I think if you're not motivated and you don't sound that interested in what you're saying and what you're doing then you're going to really really struggle to transfer that energy really which is what we need to do into our patients so um yeah there's no stopping me <laughs> I think sometimes as well especially all matters dental like it can be quite intimidating for some patients as well so I think having that kind of spark and, and being yeah. able to kind of I guess put people at ease and, and, and make them comfortable it's as that, well. That friendly manner, isn't it? You know, the, the patients most often haven't really got a clue what we're doing in there. You know, we can be doing all sorts of fancy acrobatics subgingerly and into those pockets and, and be patting ourselves on the back. The patient hasn't got a clue whether what I did in that distal pocket on an upper right seven, but, but what they will go away and what they will take for their, from their appointment is how friendly I was, how relaxed they felt, how much time I spent with them, how comfortable the treatment was, whether they what just what their whole patient journey was. That you know, that's what I gauge my visits on if I go, I don't know, see a, a doctor or a specialist in an area that I don't know an awful lot about and 
I'm trusting that they know what they're doing and I'm, I'm gauging the whole experience on how long they kept me waiting and, and how much they charged me and whether they were looking at the computer or whether they were making eye contact with me. So I think, I think we shouldn't underestimate really how important that part of our role is. No, definitely. I mean, as, as someone who has never been a dentist or, you know, kind of involved in the industry outside of the probe, um, you know, if, if I was asked for a review of my dentist, I'd probably talk about, you know, <laughs> how she tells me off for not flossing, uh, and uh, which, you know, is a good thing. I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and and also, yeah, just kind of how, how good she is with my, with my three-year-old son. Um, mm. and kind of puts him at ease because he was a bit scared of the chair at first. Um, but yeah, now he, he loves it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, you touched on it earlier, patients are in a really vulnerable position when we bring them in, um, not not even just the very anxious and very nervous patients, so um, our animal instincts, particularly in an environment where we feel moderately threatened, which most patients do coming into the dental surgery, the last thing our animal instinct tells us to do is to lay on our back and expose our torso. If you saw a lion in the jungle and there was some hyenas circling around, which is funnily enough how patients see us, um, then you, the last thing you'd see that lion do is lay on its back and expose its torso. And yet one of the first things we do is lay our patients back. And, and like I say, even the ones that aren't particularly anxious or nervous, there, there is some wiring in their brain somewhere that tells them that they are suddenly in a far more vulnerable position because they're laid back and they're exposed. So I think it's really important for us to remember as clinicians really what position, not just physical position, but the position that we put these patients into when we expose them and when we make them feel vulnerable, and particularly when we're then trying to give them information and we're educating them and we're boring them to death about the ins and outs of where perio comes from and really how well positioned they are to absorb that information and what they can take in from what we've said to them as well is it's 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 a really important part of that message getting through to patients really that's a really interesting point and i never really thought about that before but now that you say it you know, any time I've been in the dentist chair and I felt, you know, kind of minor moment of discomfort, perhaps just sort of knocks a nerve. It doesn't hurt as such, but I think your instinct is to just sit up. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. I often give, particularly if I can see patients are quite anxious, give them something to hold. So I will say to them, can you just hang on to your coat for me? Is it all right if you keep your coat on your lap for me? And you will see them almost kind of curl around it, almost just give them something to make them feel subliminally, make them feel more comfortable in that situation. And you mentioned you, your little boy, children, um, they're far more in tune with their instincts than we are as adults. We've become socially conditioned to ignore those instincts because it's not the dumb thing, it's not... It's not the way that we should be behaving. Whereas, actually, if you watch children, they're great. There's a reason why your little boy didn't want to get in that chair, um, you know, because his instincts were telling him not to do yeah. that. So I think we, you know, we have to give patients a little bit of, of slack, really, sometimes. Fantastic. So, so I feel like we've dove, you know, really deep into patient psychology here, and I feel like this could make an interesting <laughs> conversation in the future. But I mean, <laughs> we've brought you here today because you've... In the past, you've mentioned uh, minimal intervention and, and motivation patients ahead of any 
you know, clinical in- intervention. So you say you're saying it's preferable to. I'm not getting my words out very well here because I'm pretty sure you can explain it better than I can. <laughs> All right. Well, let let me explain that in, in my words. I think the, this minimally invasive phrase is banded around all over the place at the minute. Um, for me, and perhaps different people have different interpretations of it, but for me, being a, a minimal intervention clinician, which is how I would describe myself, um, it doesn't make you a clinician that spends less time with patients. And this is where I think sometimes the water gets muddied a little bit. If anything, you spend more time with patients, um, certainly in those initial stages. What being an in, a minimal intervention clinician does mean um, is that you spend the time that you do have with patients um, empowering them focusing on what they can do to help improve the health of their mouths and really putting them in charge of their own destiny. So what's the most that I can do for this patient in the least invasive way? So we want to try and preserve tissue as best we can. How can I get this job done and get to my end point or get the result that I want to get? in the least invasive way what's the least amount of instrumentation what's the least amount of time that i can spend in that patient's mouth and still get the results that i want to get um and that's really because healthy gums happen in the bathroom healthy gums happen in the bathroom they don't happen in the dental surgery i have that statement it's my favorite statement and i have it printed on my wall We've got it on the back of the, the patient toilet door. We've got it on the back of appointment cards. We have it absolutely everywhere. And, and it's on my wall and it's right in front of where the patient sits so that they can read it. Um, and I say it all day long and I say it every day because nothing that I do, be it, be it scaling, biofilm disruption, calculus removal, polishing, whatever it is, nothing will improve the long-term health of that patient's mouth until the biofilm, the stuff that grows every day in their mouths is being managed. And so, um, so, so we as clinicians need to focus on what the problem is, um, hands off, focus on the problem before we go diving in there with our tools. I mean, you know, if we look at the facts, live biofilm, particularly if it's allowed to mature a little bit, the mouth's dark, it's warm, it's moist, there's a rich food supply, we're going to get this biofilm in there and it really needs disrupting and managing every day. But if it's allowed, particularly if it's allowed to to mature, then it's going to initiate disease. That's what happens. We get the we get the live biofilm, it's allowed to stagnate and mature and so it initiates disease. Um, and there are and there are conclusive findings now that that support that statement. So we'd all have to have been walking around, I think, with our head in a bucket of sand for the last ten years, not to know that it's, it's just undisputed. Biofilm's the problem. So, so if biofilm's the problem, then our attention and our focus has to be on the biofilm. And actually, biofilm doesn't removal doesn't need lots of intervention from me. It doesn't need lots of scaling or lots of acrobatics in there. It does. That's not what it, it's required to manage that biofilm. No amount of spending 25 minutes of a 30-minute appointment scaling teeth is going to 
is going to manage that biofilm because it's going to grow back again. The solution um, to that to that problem isn't found in my hands. So the solution lies in the patient's hands. And so that's where my focus needs to be. Yes, I need to remove calculus because it's plaque retentive and it doesn't look very pretty and it prevents proper cleaning incidentally. Um, so it has to go, but it's not what's initiating disease. It's not what's initiating an inflammatory response. The calculus is secondary, the biofilm's in pole position. So the biofilm's the one that needs chasing and actually managing that biofilm is not about me having lots of fancy instruments and doing lots of acrobatics with them. So that, when I talk about being minimally invasive, that's what I'm talking about. I don't necessarily need to go head on, full steam ahead in there, actually. That's not always what's required. So that's where I'm at with, with minimal intervention. Um, and I think, you know, the patient's knowledge um, and understanding when it comes to periodontal disease is virtually zero. Let's not kid ourselves. doesn't matter how much I think I've taught them. Their, their knowledge and their understanding of it is, is pretty, is pretty non, not there. What patients generally do know is that you have a problem with a tooth or anything inside your mouth. You go to the dentist and it gets fixed and you go away. You don't think about it for another 15 years until your fill it drops out again. Um, and, and patients think that the same is true with gum disease and periodontal disease. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they think that? Um, and, and, and we as clinicians, we can't feed that thought process. So somebody somewhere has to break this, this unhealthy pattern of thoughts and, and I think there's no better place to do it than in the dental hygiene surgery. We've got the time, we've got the communication skills, we've got the equipment. We are perfectly placed to really, really make um, a difference to the long-term health of our patients because patients will focus on what we focus on. If we pr primarily focused on calculus removal or root surface debridement, what it, whatever it is, um, then, then that's what patients will focus on. So, and, and that's what they're expecting us to focus on. They're coming with this expectation, this preconceived idea that we'll go diving in there and, and sort the problem out for them. Um, but they will focus on what we focus on. And if they think that, that our skills and our fancy equipment and the calculus removal is the answer, then that's what they're gonna go to. So we have to really think about the language that we use when we prepare the patient before they even come to see us. If on the other hand, we take this hands-off approach, so we, we, we stop having the patient think that it's just us that saves them from gum disease, and, and we just take a step back and instead of approaching things head on, armed with our scalers, and, and instead we, we come in sideways where we hand the tools and the power to the patients, then all of a sudden the focus shifts quite a bit. And once patients grasp that, then, then hey presto, things, things really start to improve. That's a really long answer, isn't it? Sorry. That's <laughs> no, great. Honestly, the least I can talk on these podcasts, the better. <laughs> <laughs> the people are here to hear you. Um, so, I mean, do you have any kind of methods that you found have particularly worked in, in terms of getting that message through to patients? I think it really is about improving their knowledge and understanding. So 
as I said, patients are expecting me to come in with the answers, whether that answer is, is scaling the tooth, whether it's teaching them, whatever. Whilst ever it's coming from me, then it they tend not to retain it very long, so they tend not to hang on to that message very long. So my approach really has always been um, helping the patient to understand what's going on and be aware of what's going on and the state of the health of their mouths so that that, that want to change comes from within them. So before I pick up any tools, any instruments, anything, I would do a full assessment on the patient and um, would use indices to that patients recognize as as being unhealthy so i'm a really big fan of bleeding scores for instance so every single patient that i see comes to see me and they're given a bleeding score they know that i want that bleeding score as close to zero as i can get it but anything under 10 percent then we'll kind of accept as a normal range um, so patients understand percentages I also understand that healthy tissues in our body don't bleed. If I rubbed my arm and it bled, I would know that my arm's not healthy because because skin doesn't bleed when you rub it. Gums are the shirt same. Gums shouldn't do that either. So by by giving patients this information that they can understand, already understand as being not ideal, not healthy, not something that they want, then all of a sudden they want to know how to change that. They want to know how can I not have these bleeding gums anymore? What, what can I do? What do I need to do? And only once the patient starts to turn their attention and ask me questions like, what can I do about this way? How can I make this better? Um, and you have to kind of home in on patients. So if I've got a teenager in front of me, I'm probably going to talk more about how this biofilm makes their breath smell not very nice because I know that's going to be really important to them. It's kind of finding your your lane really and what's going to tick those boxes for patients. But as soon as that switch flicks, as soon as the patient wants to make this different, wants to make this better, then that's your inlet for, for teaching them how to do that. I think if you go railroading in there, without the education and the understanding and the information first, then you're kind of on a bit of a hide into nothing. Yes, they might engage and listen in the surgery, but you know, they leave the surgery and the phone rings and it's work and then they've got the shopping to do and then they walk through the door and the kids around their ankles and guess what, by the time they go to bed, it's not important to them anymore and they've forgotten about it. So that's always been my approach really. Um, and it takes time. It takes time to engage, fully engage with patients. You've got to, be really proficient with your communication skills as well. Um, you know, some patients can take, they're different learners. Some patients can take more information than, than others. Some patients are very visual learners. Some are very auditory, some are very kinesthetic. And we've got to kind of home in really on, on what's going to flip that switch for those patients, I think, yeah. Have you found there's been any difference um, since COVID, since lockdown last year, with how yeah. patients are receiving information, with how you have to deliver it? Yeah, in a lot of ways, for our industry, COVID was was one of the better things that could have happened for us um, because of all of the public information that was out there. You know, we, we learned very quickly, didn't we, that patients with comorbidities, so patients who were 
predisposed to, for instance, diabetes or obesity or various other health conditions were more likely to get really, really sick if they did get infected with the virus. And I think for the first time there was this, and, and I'm not sure it was intentional, but there was this united mass of information about how we needed to start looking after ourselves. We were, you know, there was a time we were scared of COVID. We were all scared of COVID. Um, and, and we all started really looking after ourselves. So that was kind of the one side of it. But I also think the other thing that happened with lockdown, because a lot of us had a lot of time that we weren't used to having, I know I did the same. I started spending a lot more time in the kitchen, um, home cooking. I was getting a lot more fresh air and exercise and Kel Surprise started to feel absolutely fantastic. And so the evidence was there. You know, I could make a direct comparison between this crazy life in the fast lane where you're grabbing and running constantly and, and therefore feeling more tired and, you know, your skin's just not as grey, perhaps you're overweight, you're just not looking after yourself as well. I could make this really direct comparison between that and actually by changing, making different lifestyle choices, just how much better and healthier I felt. And a lot of patients I've spoken to have found the same thing, that that they realised just how in control they could be um, of their own destiny, really. And I think now more than ever, we've started to think about how we, what we put into our bodies and how we look after ourselves and the long-term effects that that has, be it COVID or whatever else. So I think in that respect, it really helped us and our profession for sure, yeah. Oh, so, so, I mean, uh, there have been some... You know, you kind of almost hate to say it, but, you know, some benefits to lockdown. I mean, that's, it's just nice to hear there's a, you know, another one there as well. I mean, in regards to the, you know, kind of the fear of, I guess, the coronavirus itself at the beginning, you've got to think the mainstream media probably uh, helped, helped with that. <laughs> but had a, had yeah, a... it does. But, yeah, there's not a lot that mainstream media helps with. No. Um, I, I'm not sure it helps so much with everybody's mental health, but no. I do think that it helps their physical health quite a bit so yeah <laughs> i don't think uh, brexit being in the headlines for four years did the same thing really uh, <laughs> that's true <laughs> oh brilliant um so can you tell us about test drive as well because i know you've been an advocate for that and does that mm. kind of help get the message through oh i mean i am self-confessed the biggest test drive fan walking on this planet today you know, I'm going to go off on one now, James, so you're just going to have to stop me because this is my lane. It is all about educating and re-educating patients. You know, their thoughts and their behaviour is all learned. It's all learned. We're not born with information. It's all learned. And therefore, it can be unlearned and new behaviour can be learned. And really, no matter how long we have with a patient, be it 20 minutes, be it an hour, you know, we've got hygienists working in, in all sorts of different conditions out there. Even if we've only got 20 minutes with a patient, as a clinician, we have to ask ourselves, what is the best use of that time? What's the best thing that I can do for that patient? What's the thing that's gonna help the most in 
that short space of time. Um, and, it, and, you know, it won't surprise you to realise that, it, that it's not always the thing that I'm doing. And actually, it's not always the thing that the patient expects me to do. You know, we have to use that time effectively. And I believe test drive is the most important instrument in our kits. We're, uh, we're currently recruiting a new hygienist because I've got patients coming out of my ears and I can't manage, I can't manage the, uh, the workload at the moment, which is a great problem to have. And um, it's really brilliant. I had a two-hour conversation with my boss last night. Um, he's going to be conducting some interviews today about, you know, are there any questions that you want me to ask, Faye? Is there anything that we should be saying? You know, what are we looking for? And, and there were two questions I said, you have to ask, you have to ask, ask the potential employees, do, what, what do you know about test drive? Or do you use the test drive? If they stumble, if they're not sure, if they're telling you that they don't really have access to one, then, then they're probably not on the same page as me because, because test drive is the most important instrument in our kits. It trumps everything else that we have on our trays. Um, and, and really, it doesn't matter how much time you've got to spend in the surgery with those patients. Um, we have to make this a priority. We are so, so lucky to have test drive. Remember, the answer is in the patient's hands. It's not in my hands. So whatever the question is, whatever the question is in, in dental health, the answer is nearly always good oral hygiene. So how do I stop my teeth decaying Faye? Uh, improve your oral hygiene. Uh, how do I stop my gums bleeding Faye? You need good oral hygiene. How do I get my, my, rid of my bad breath? Uh, you need good oral hygiene. Uh, how do I prolong the life of my implants? Guess what? You need good oral hygiene. How do I keep the stains away? You need to brush better. So, how do I, you know, it, it nearly always the brushing and the on the oral hygiene is the answer. And the test drive, it, it, we can't ignore this. And the test drive gives us the tools to educate the patient in this. So, so you know, we can't we can't shoehorn this oral hygiene instruction in at the end of a of a twenty five minute calculus removal and we've got two minutes left at the end. This has to we've got to make way for this. It has to be the most important thing that, that we do in every single appointment. Um, it's got to be number one, number one on our list. So every single one of my patients knows that at some stage in their appointment I'll be picking up a test drive. Um, and I'll be either teaching them how to use it from scratch if I've not seen them before or if they're completely not getting things right or I'll be refining their technique. So it's not just something that I use with a patient that I've never seen before. Um, I use it every single day. It's on my tray. It's right next to it goes mirror, probe, tweezers, test drive. That's my kit. Don't give me anything else. I don't want to see a scale. I don't want anything else. I need mirror probe tweezers and a test drive. That's my kit. And then I'll decide after I've done those things, then I'll decide where I'm going to go with it. Um, it it's just it's just essential. It has to be part of it has to be part of everything that we do. Um, because we're back to everything's caused by biofilm. So if I don't address that biofilm and if I don't teach the patient what to do with that biofilm, how to manage it, then we're just on this merry-go-round of they come in, we talk about the holidays, we scale the teeth, they go away, 
they say goodbye, they come back six months later, guess what, we do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. It's just a merry-go-round and nothing ever really gets better. It's like scale polish repeat, scale polish repeat. No, it's absolutely not okay. We can do much better than that. We were trained to do much better than that. And we've absolutely, in the test drive, we've got the tools to do much better than that. Test drive is free. It's there for us to use. It's safe post-COVID. Um, I believe Oral B have now got the um, um, the evidence to prove that it's safe. It's not an aerosol. It's a splatter, yada, yada. Um, it's patient-friendly, so they recognise it. They understand it. I talked a moment ago about visual, auditory, kinesthetic learners. So some patients need to see to believe. They can't take information in that they're listening to, but but if they can visualize it, they can take it in. So it ticks that box. Some patients are auditory, so they need to listen to the different sounds that toothbrushes make um, and listen to what I'm saying to them. Nearly all of us are kinesthetic learners. So kinesthetic is kind of how things feel against us how they feel in our hands, how they feel against our teeth and our gums. And test drive ticks that box as well, because the number of patients that say to me when I'm giving toothbrush instruction, or oh, my brush doesn't feel like that, or the head doesn't feel like that, or those bristles are firmer, or I don't, I don't feel those bristles coming through. And it's important as a clinician to listen to these words that patients are saying, because you can very quickly learn what type of learners they are. So if patients say, or my brush doesn't look like that, or I don't see those bristles coming through incidentally, then, then I know that they're probably a visual learner. If they say it doesn't feel like that, that feels very different to mine, then they're probably a kinesthetic learner. And if they similarly say my brush doesn't sound like that, my brush makes different sounds to that, then they're probably an auditory learner. And we can, we can adjust our language to suit that and adjust our approach to, to, to suit that and it's actually really quite easy to do once you start listening once you you know the three things to listen to then you can you can adapt your teaching to that to that and, and test drive ticks every single box and and also um, when we're refining technique you know i could tell patients what to do and show them what to do all day long but until it's in their hand and you know, I've got a bathroom mirror up in my surgery with a sink under it because, again, back to what we were saying about lions in the jungle and laying back and feeling vulnerable. Who brushes the teeth while they're laid on the back and upside down with a mirror right in front? Nobody does that. So, come on, let's make this real. Let's get them up and standing and standing like they would be in the bathroom. And I'm literally sometimes crouched underneath them saying, lift your elbow up, push your elbow up. Now you can get where you need to be. Change the way that you're using your brush. You know, try and use a pen grip when you're on the insides rather than a handle grip. And so unless they've got that in their hand, then I can't teach them properly. They're just watching me showcasing my toothbrushing skills and thinking, just get me out of here. Whereas actually, if you get them holding it and engage them, and I always warn patients that that's going to happen as well. So um, if it's the first time I've seen a patient or the first time I've done toothbrush instruction with a test drive on them, then I would always demonstrate. However, if, um, if but, but I would say at the end of that appointment, just so that you know, next time you come, we're going to do all this again, but you're going to hold the test drive next time. I'm going to show you, I'm going to and I'm going to refine your skills. And I don't want you to feel embarrassed about that. I talk to my patients about toothbrushing lessons 
and the, and the referring dentist would say, I'm going to send you to Faye for some lessons because, um, funnily enough, patients are, are a lot more open to having lessons and paying for lessons. They're a lot more open to that than they are for paying for advice. If they, if they think it's advice, they think that you're going to wag your finger yeah. at them and tell them what they need to do. Whereas if they think it's lessons, then, then there's some sort of gain in that. I suppose it's, it's, also, it's actually the practical skill, isn't it? It's learning. Yeah, of course it is. Like any, like any practical skill. So think about learning to swim. Think about learning to drive. You don't have one lesson and you're told how to swim and you jump in the pool and guess what? You know how to swim. Not at all. So you start with the really basics. This is how you float. This is how, this is the direction your legs need to move in. The next time, this is how your arms need to move. The next lesson, this is where your head needs to move so that you can still breathe. And you build on those lessons each time. And I explain that to my patients. It's like any lesson. So expect, this is the basics today. Next time I see you, we're going to build on that. We're going to add a little bit more in until we refine it to the point where you hardly even need me at all. And I can't imagine how I would do that without a test drive. I would be relying on patients bringing their own brushes in, which they would forget and probably wouldn't have the right head on or wouldn't be the right brush or, you know, there's a whole manner of things before we had test drive that's what we did we relied on patient bringing their brushes in um, and half the time they just didn't bring them at all so you were trying to demonstrate how to use an electric brush with you know I used to just use my finger and try and pretend this finger is your toothbrush and this is what you need to do about it, it was so difficult um, and of course they don't, it doesn't touch any of their senses so now having the test drive means that I can focus really really focus on fine-tuning their oral hygiene, their, their toothbrushing, home care. And by doing that, then guess what? Very, very quickly, things start to improve in the mouth. Patients think that, you know, I've saved them from gum disease. I'm the best hygienist they've ever seen. Do you know what? Most of the time, what I've done is got the patient doing all the hard work. <laughs> I say to my patients all the time, you're going to make me look really good. You're going to get me a pay rise because it's going to look that fantastic in there. What on earth have we done? And actually, actually what I've done is taught the patient how to clean the mouths properly. Um, and for me, that's particularly where the IO, the, the newest um, test drive, the newest Oral-B brush comes in. Um, I think the IO is streets ahead of its predecessors. And I've been banging on about this for years. They'll, they'll tell you I've absolutely been banging this drum forever. Because I think for a long time we've had such a heavy focus on overbrushing as an industry. I mean, every other patient comes to me and says phrases like, I've been overbrushing or I've done I've, I've overdone it with my toothbrush, my techniques not been right. That's that's not come from them, that's come from the industry. Someone along the line within the industry has told them that they've been overbrushing and perhaps they have been overbrushing. But what we've done as an industry is created an entire nation, an entire generation of underbrushers. So, so you know, I see more problems with underbrushing than I ever did with overbrushing. Um, underbrushing causes more problems. It, you know, it causes caries. It causes bad breath. It causes gingivitis. It causes perio. It causes implants to fail. Overbrushing. 
yes, it is not ideal. It, it will cause recession and you might get some toothbrush wear. Um, it's not going to cause any disease. Underbrushing is going to cause a whole host of other other issues so actually what we need to do is find this sweet spot in between underbrushing and overbrushing and and all of the previous toothbrushes with their red lights they were great they stopped the overbrushing but what they also told the patient is that is that your mouth's really this really delicate uh, I mean enamel it's really it must be really delicate if I can brush it away with a toothbrush so I'd better go even more careful and even more gentle and then like I say what did we do? We created a nation of underbrushers who now are too terrified to go anywhere near the gingival margin in case they brush it away and it ends up up the side of the nose somewhere. So the IO, because it's now got this green light, which is the sweet spots, has got a red light when you're overbrushing, it's got a blue light or whatever colour you set it to when you're underbrushing. Um, and it's got a green light, it's got a green go. So yay, you've hit the sweet spot. Now you've got the pressure right. And for my patients that have switched over to IO, um, the responses that I've got from, from nearly all of them is, I can't believe how much pressure it's okay to use. I'm surprised how much pressure I can put on because, you know, I'm always saying to patients, you, you need to get incidentally, your tooth's not flat, it's round. You have to get around that tooth. You need an element of pressure to to get those bristles to cup the shape of the tooth, to penetrate incidentally, to to penetrate subgingivally. They're the areas where you're going to have the majority of plaque and bacteria. So they're the areas that you've got to get your toothbrush bristles. If patients are too frightened to put any pressure on, then those bristles are never going to cup that, that rounded tooth surface. They're just going to sit on this outer part and leave behind lots of plaque and bacteria. So the, the feedback that I've had really from patients has been has been more about surprise at the amount of pressure that they've been able to put on. I absolutely love the IO, but but I love the test drive to the point where I'm not sure that I could work and operate without a test drive anymore. I'm not sure that I, I, I just think I would be doing my patients a disservice if that wasn't number one in my kit every single day. I told you I was going to go off on one about yeah. testosterone. That? <laughs> That's all right. No, it's, it's great to hear in, in, in that much detail. I mean, for those listeners who, who don't know exactly what a test drive is, what, what is it physically? So test drive is uh, an initiative um, by Oral-B, which um, is free to us. And any uh, DCP, any dentist, dental hygienist, dental therapist with a GDC registered um, can get access to a test drive. So it's a toothbrush handle. Um, there is an IO model now. If it's if it's not the IO, then it's it's the one below that, and it's supplied with a box of heads, disposable electric toothbrush heads that just fit onto the test drive, and it's supplied with um, sleeves that the test drive fits into from a cross infection point of view so the head after you've used it and the sleeve that that completely seals the uh, handle inside the sleeve so there's no cross contamination that gets all gets thrown away the handle stays um, the sleeve and the head gets thrown away the handle stays and gets disinfected and then a new head's put on for the next patient so it's an absolutely incredible resource we don't have to pay for any of it 
we just ring a central number when we're running low on heads and they send us 200 more heads. I usually, I, I we just have it diarised. So my reception know that they need to ring and order 200 heads every month because that's how many heads I'm going to go through. Uh, but as many heads as I need to go through. And it's absolutely the best resource. There's no problem with supply that I know of. And you are absolutely entitled. And, and you can have one at every surgery. So I move around three different practices. There's a test drive in every practice. It's not something that, that you've got and, and you've got hold of. And you don't have to share it with the dentist either. So that's the other thing. I, <laughs> when I started at a practice, where's the test drive? Well, the dentist got it today. What? Why have we got two test drives? They've got a GDC number. I've got a GDC number. Let's all have a test drive. Um, so, yeah, absolutely brilliant initiative. And I think if you haven't got a test drive, if you haven't used a test drive, um, then get in touch. Get in touch with your Oral-B reps and, and they'll sort you out with one. Um, I think once you get used to integrating that into every appointment, if it's not something that patients are used to, you might well find that they question it. I, I often get hygienists that I mentor and I speak to will often say, I haven't got time for that. I've got all this scaling to do. Patients don't want it. Where do you fit in? I just haven't got time for a test drive. That takes us right back to what I was saying at the start, isn't it? It's about re retuning, refocusing, realigning your your uh, focus really, and and making that the most important thing that you do. There's no excuses when we've got the tools, right? No. Brilliant. So. I mean, well, we'll include links on the description for this episode for if anybody wants to find out more about that. But where can our listeners find out more about you, Faye? <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> You're the tooth fairy, aren't you? I am tooth fairy, yeah. So on Instagram, I'm Faye Donald, the dental hygienist, so they can follow me on there. Um, and same on Facebook, Faye Donald, the dental hygienist on Facebook as well. Um, I'm also um, chair of the Northeast BSDHT, so you can find me via various BSDHT events as well. Um, and those that are in the region or not in the region are always very welcome to come to our BSDHT meetings. Um, and if you if you contact me on either um, Instagram or Facebook Messenger, then um, I can exchange email addresses with them as well. If they uh, look on YouTube on my YouTube channel will see links to various website uh, webinars that I've done as well um, I think one of the issues with test drive and with toothbrushing is that I'm not sure that we the educators necessarily are up to date on how to how to give oral hygiene instruction how what is the actual correct electric toothbrushing technique what what is the right technique? Because we we're all taught to use them. We all know that oscillating, rotating electric toothbrushes um, come out on top in terms of their ability to, to remove plaque. Um, but how do we actually, what is the actual correct technique? And when I did some pilot work with Oral-B, I asked this question to the delegates and I got a different answer from 10 or 15 different delegates. So I did a, I've done a couple of webinars over the summer, over lockdown just describing what the current technique is um, and how to get that message across, how to teach patients how to use an electric toothbrush. It's all very well having it. We've got to give the right information as well. Um, so if they go onto my YouTube channel, again, Faye Donald, then, um, then 
you'll be able to look up those webinars and learn a little bit more about how to use the test drive as well. So I'm everywhere. Brilliant. <laughs> Just type me into Google, you'll find me. <laughs> I should add that's Faye with an E, uh, if you haven't seen the episode <laughs> description. And we'll try and include some of those links in there as well. But fantastic, thank Faye, thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Oh, it's my favourite subject. I am so passionate about the difference that we can make in this world. It's not about having fancy equipment. It's not about who's got the best scaling machine. It's about actually who's got the focus right in surgery and, and, and how we get those messages across to patients. So I am more than happy to help anybody that, that wants any tips and tricks. I do lots and lots of mentoring. I've always got somebody in the surgery watching me, learning from me. And and, and, and that's that's great. We're a good profession for learning from each other. So thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Talking about my favourite subjects for 20 minutes or however long I've been rambling on. So uh, thank you for having me. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure we'll hear from you again. Thanks, Faye. Thanks, James. Season four of the Probe Dental Podcast is presented by Oral-B. Oral-B is the worldwide leader in the over $5 billion brushing market. Part of the Procter & Gamble company, the brand includes manual and electric toothbrushes for children and adults, oral irrigators and interdental products such as dental floss. Oral-B, the brand that pioneered the electric toothbrush and connected brushing, recently unveiled its most revolutionary technology to date, the Oral-B I.O. An unprecedented advancement of the brushing experience, Oral-B I.O. sets a new industry benchmark, representing inspired research that elevates user expectations in experience, technology, design and performance like never before. Oral BIO strikes the right balance between effectiveness and experience and reimagines how a brush performs, cleans and feels. Oral BIO is the result of six years of dedicated research with dental professionals to ensure people have the best possible oral health outcomes at home. The brush offers a unique blend of innovative features such as a linear magnetic drive and redesigned brush head to deliver superior oral health. Oral B works very closely with dental professionals and it is very proud to sponsor this podcast. And we here at the Probe Dental Podcast would like to say a very special thank you to Oral B as well.